Hi, my name is Isabel Ling, and I am the assistant editor at Mold Magazine. Earlier this summer, I spoke with the artist Meech Boache about their experimentations with Dolly, a AI imaging software. So in today's conversation, we'll be revisiting Meech's work with Dolly, as well as their practice with food. Um, hey Meech, thanks for joining us on this podcast today. Hi, Isabel. It's so lovely to see you. Well, I guess see your face. We've only really talked right. on the phone. So this is fun. I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, cool. So for the listeners who don't know what Dolly is, or maybe didn't even have it flooding their timelines when it was viral, can you explain to them a little about what Dolly is? Yeah, totally. So Dolly, I'm not super knowledgeable about AI. I just kind of found it casually when I wanted to make images. Um, but Dolly is a text-to-image generator. Um, it came out, I believe, this April. Um, actually, I'm going to say Dolly too, because that's what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of the most like intelligent AI I've seen um, as a text-to-image generator so far. Um, it was when I was using it, I was creating like photorealistic images um, and renderings and sculptures and things that I had never, had never been that convinced before that this thing was not real, um, the thing I was looking at. So uh, it kind of caught, like it, it became really popular really fast um, for that reason, because people were like, I didn't realize the bot made this. <laughs> like it was kind of, Right. A little scary, a little strange, a little exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. What were some of the things that you were creating with Dolly? I know you had several sorts of experimentations. So like the first time I got access, I spent like six hours on it because it was just so there. I had lists of things I had wanted to create and kind of just waiting on this wait list. Um, even though I was like still one of the first people that got access, I was like, mm -hmm very impatient um <laughs> but yeah. I was making a lot of things that I had made through another AI generator a text-to-text -text, um sort of mm -hmm. a neural network um AI generator uh basically making poems and um a fake recipe book of just a bunch of different ingredients I put in and wanted to see how they interacted um so I was trying to image things that I had. It was basically like trying to get a bot to speak to a bot. Um, that was like mm -hmm. my my interest um, because I ended up someplace real again, someplace human again. And that was like kind of interesting for me. Um, I made a lot of sculptures. Um, I, I was trying to play with material. And I also made a lot of photographs. Um, I found that when I was working with like shutter speed and um, motion blur and things that almost made things more convincing because you didn't have things didn't have to be so crisp. I think sometimes with with Dali, when mm. you're making like crisp humans, it's like you can tell there's something a little bit off, a little uncanny. Right. But when you play around with these photo effects, like you increase the shutter speed when you're doing motion, it's like, oh, that looks like a photograph because I can't tell, I, I can't find that uncanny valley. And so one of my one of the first things I was playing around with was like using Dali as a camera and like putting in specific settings, specific film stocks um, that could almost 
recreate moments in time that never existed. And that was really interesting for me. Mm. Yeah, I think that the idea of you using it as a camera is really interesting because you also have this practice as an artist with food and you're always photographing a lot of the food you create or the bioplastics mm-hmm. you create. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the difference in making that occurs when you're making something physically versus when you're making something through um, an, a software like Dolly. Totally. Yeah, I think that's what we ended up talking about a lot with that article that you had yeah. written, which is that, you know, working with Dali when it came to food kind of fell flat for me because mm-hmm. I was having so much fun, especially during the pandemic when I had a bit of extra time making all these things from scratch, like making pasta and bread and vinegar and just like things that you don't need to make by yourself, but are really fun to make from right. scratch. And they take several months um, to get there. And what I was talking about was the fact that, you know, I do take photos of things or videos and, you know, post them on Instagram, but oftentimes that's just documentation. That's not usually the work itself. The work is me in my kitchen waiting for bread to rise, you know, like that is what's interesting. And when you work with something like Dali or like any kind of image generator, you, you obviously miss all that. And so I was realizing that like the joy in creating things was not the image, like the images were, were just kind of um, a way to document that this thing had happened and share it. And then, you know, it's done. Um, but also there's like that other aspect of sharing that I was interested in with food specifically is that you can share with other people mm-hmm. and they can enjoy it too. And again, with an image, I think some of that comes across. I do have I've definitely had conversations about the images of food I've created with people on the internet. And I find that very interesting. I mean, literally me and you, like we've talked about that, but you know, I think the real joy comes when I can actually invite someone over and I make Mm -hmm. dinner for them. And that becomes like a moment where we can share food. And that is often a little bit more satisfying, like satisfying than, um, you know, them seeing a photo of food, obviously. So, right. Well, have you, since we last spoke earlier this summer, have you been experimenting with Dolly or any other AI generators or have you moved on to other things? Yeah, honestly, not so much. I was a part of the, um, they had like an artist assistance program they put out because Mm -hmm. now it's um, credit based. So you need to pay for your credits. And so, I actually ended up having way too many credits and then I did not use most of them. So they ended up going to someone else. But um, yeah, I, I used it to, um, I think more like storyboard than anything else, like mm. brainstorm, use, again, use material or um, create imagery in a way that maybe either documented an idea or sort of like um, helped visualize something that I had never seen. Um, And that was very interesting. That still is what interests me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also still really love um, like text uh, AI generators. I find working with text and working with bots who make texts are just like so strange and so weird and like honestly very akin to how I write poetry which is just like lists of things that like I like and that sound Uh good to me and sometimes I'll compare the two and I'm like 
I can't tell. Like, I can't tell that, like, I made this poem or a bot made this poem because sometimes I sound like a bot or sometimes Mm -hmm. a bot sounds like a human. And so that has been really interesting to me is to try and blur those lines. And, like, I think even thinking about the way that I have been trying to collaborate with other artists over the past couple of years, like, collaborating with bots has been very akin to collaborating with a human because Mm. I think oftentimes there's a point when I'm collaborating with other people where our individual voices are lost and instead we become this collaboration. Like what comes out of it is the two of us working together and our voices are indistinguishable from one another because we become something new entirely. Um, Which is why like, yeah, I don't, I think one of the things I've been thinking about is like, is me using a bot, like, is that a real collaboration? Is that me using Mm. a service? Is that me like, you know, being in control of this algorithm or is it right. us actually being able to collaborate? I say us, it's not, it's me and an algorithm, but you know, <laughs> right. can that be an actual collaboration? I don't know yet. I haven't really gotten to that answer, but um, it's something I've been thinking about because if I use that word, you know, there is sort of morals and ethics involved mm. in what a collaboration is and should be, you know? And I think part of that is like that each party kind of has an equal say in what comes out of it and when I'm working with bots obviously that's not really the case so Mm. anyway that's a bit of a tangent but it is something I've been thinking about right I think it really ties back to something you mentioned earlier um you were talking about um this sort of uncanny valley and um the um well first off would you explain to our listeners what the uncanny valley is yeah I don't okay don't like quote me on this I'm pretty sure it's from (laughs) Freud something Mm. uncanny is probably a Freud term but um basically it's like when something I mean it's literally like the diagram is like that of a valley where it's like you get so close to being like recognizably human or like real or natural these these terms are all kind of not specific enough but um but it's like slightly off it, mm. it doesn't quite get there and so like a lot of people will talk about like the polar express movie if you've right. seen Iconic. it or, yeah like that animation is like uh-huh. not there, there's something a little bit strange about it's like it. disquieting <laughs> exactly and I think that's something that AI brings up for a lot of people because you know there's a lot of imaging that happens with AI that can look very real like very Mm -hmm. like there's a website called this person does not exist Mm -hmm. and every time you refresh it it's a you know an image of a person who doesn't exist but it's like well I've seen that person like that looks like a person that exists and then sometimes you'll find little glitches and whatever but I think the uncanny exists in in the sort of knowing that it it isn't real quote unquote Mm -hmm. real but thinking and being tricked into the fact that it is like there's there's kind of I think there's different kinds of uncanny where it's like there's weird there's Mm -hmm. eerie and then there's uncanny where it's like I am not able to distinguish the reality in this Um, and that is where I think things get really interesting because that can be kind of freaky it's like right how did a bot create something that I don't I can't tell apart from a person in real life you know Yeah. yeah Yeah, um, I think it's interesting because like people have been using this tool to sort of like push that boundary like you have exactly. with your explorations with your mm-hmm. relationship with the bots. But, you know, I've seen people like 
using the uh, text prompter for Dolly or something like Midjourney to like see into the future or see yes. like what a possible future utopia might look like. And I wanted to hear your opinion on how you think this sort of mutual shaping occurs, like as we continue these um, look to these services or softwares or collaborators um, as um ways to shape our present and our future like what how do you foresee um the relationship between humans and this technology evolving I mean that's a really good question I I honestly don't even want to say I have a prediction because I don't like right <laughs> like in all honesty I really don't know I think the best way for me to answer that is just to understand my my intrigue in it is that I do think that various artificial intelligent technologies are already a part of our lives and like will continue to be. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm interested in that is that I don't want to be sort of left in the dark about that just being a part of my life. You know, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of technology that just kind of exists that I am like, whoa, how did that happen? Like, how did that become a part of my everyday? Yeah. Um, and I'm almost like eager to just learn about it in a way that like doesn't feel so alien or scary that it's like okay I understand this a little bit more I know what algorithms are being used because also they're going to be constantly updated and changed like mm -hmm. like very fast like it's not it's AI is is a is a broad term for a lot of different things you know a lot of different right. algorithms and a lot of different ways of of you know creating intelligence um I think you know something that we talked about really briefly was you know who creates these things how mm -hmm. is it funded I mean we can even think about open AI like I know there are things that I don't know about that company as well or organization not sure um ultimately I think you know, in the hands of the state, AI can be a dangerous thing. Um, we've already mm -hmm. seen things with like deep fakes and the way that like surveillance on everyone's like home nest device is like, right. you know, able to be given to the police. Like there's right. a lot of surveillance and imaging that happens um, sort of discreetly that, you know, artificial intelligence can honestly only make more efficient mm -hmm. um in hands that are not trying to be for the people so I think that there's like that is honestly more my fear rather than thinking about utopia I often go to that place and I think a lot of people also go to the place of like you know is this gonna take my job or things like that's mm -hmm. so like automate mm -hmm. things that I am doing as a artist um or creative person that am I going to be needed anymore? Am I going to make a living anymore? Because these things are just so easily automated and that's cheaper for a company than paying me um, for my labor. So right. I have a, I have a sort of utopic collaboration idea mm -hmm. thought process, I guess, when it comes to like, you know, being present in the now and just saying, oh, I enjoy making these silly poems. And then I also have a much darker thought process about like mm. what this could turn into. 
Um, I think, you know, when it comes to Dolly, I don't think this is the thing that will, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is not, yeah, yeah, this is just kind of silly. It's just kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, you know, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I think there, Mm -hmm. there's a, I have a, I have a healthy amount of skepticism that, you know, creating more and more powerful artificial intelligence may not be um, in our best interest. But I also think that usually folks will say, I don't like the bots. Like, I think sometimes people will position themselves against these inanimate, um, intangible algorithms. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think where I am trying to get to is, no, it's not the bot that I'm afraid of. It's the people who are creating the bots and who Mm -hmm. are in charge of using these algorithms to, you know, perhaps make my life worse. Like that is like right. a lot scarier than an algorithm that I'm making silly poems on. So for sure, you get that like that that's sort, sort of like of a, understanding the power dynamics that inform exactly. the AI model itself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, because like I do not think robots are going to take over the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there are other things that already have taken over our world, right. and that you know can really easily buy these algorithms or create even more powerful ones you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah um shifting away sort of from this like framework of collaboration I wanted mm-hmm. to return to um the idea of this as a tool so mm-hmm. um when Dolly was first rolling this out they presented a bunch of use cases for how people could use it as a tool to enhance like their practice or their day-to-day life and one of the examples they used is um, a chef I mentioned in the piece who was using it to um, vision possible dishes for his restaurant that he would put on the menu. So I'm wondering if in your own practice, um, you're able to use um, Dali as a tool to influence anything you are actually making physically in real life. Yeah, I think that's a great question because I really loved um, seeing that chef explore with different things. I think that was Mm -hmm. such a creative use of the tool. And yeah, I do think it is a tool. I think that's sort of what I was getting at earlier, where it's like to be able to vision something without like expending that material is Mm -hmm. like kind of an amazing thing. Because I know Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I collected a lot of... (laughs) random thing like I am still going through my pantry now and I'm finding like cuttlefish <laughs> right. ink and like various <laughs> seeds that I got and it's like why do I have this but because mm. I wanted to make a very specific thing and I had a very specific vision so to be able to sort of envision those things without going to um you know a random store to find them I think is probably a a really useful thing for someone like a chef um mm-hmm. the difference is you can't taste it (laughs) and it's kind of funny to think about food in a visual way first rather than thinking about it in a like what it will taste like um Mm -hmm. so for making food it's like you know perhaps it's a it's a good tool and then also it's like okay you made this beautiful thing and it tastes like shit like I don't know (laughs) right that may not be the most useful way to to brainstorm but um I do find it creative and fun so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well I wanted to give you some space also to talk about the work that you've been up to 
since we've spoken over the summer. So beyond this sort of artificial imaging, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to give you some space to talk about the, your bioplastics work. So maybe you could tell oh, us sure. what you've been doing with it and um, what it is. Totally. Um, bioplastics, another sort of broad term, um, basically just plastic or like plastic-like material that is made from um, organic materials. So I work with gelatin or agar or starch. Um, There's a lot of research being done for things I have never even thought of. One of my favorite artists, um, Sasha Fishman, works with hagfish slime Mm. and Cheeto-san, I don't know how to say Cheeto-san, um, basically using like cicada shells, like after Whoa. the cicadas molt, um, they are incredible. Um, but yeah, I I got really interested in bioplastics around the same time I got interested in food. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, looking for material that I could work with that would biodegrade because mm-hmm. I was making things out of plastic, out of, you know, making paintings, things like that, that after a show or after I was done with the project, just sort of sat in my closet. And I wanted to find ways of like rapidly experimenting with things and material and having them either be digested or, you know, go into the compost and have another life. Um, I was, I was looking, I, I had, I was listening to someone talk in a course. I do not remember their name, but basically they were speaking about, making work that has afterlives embedded in it and and thinking about when you're making work, you know, this is not, this is a continuous thing that will continue to live. And Mm -hmm. with bioplastics, something that's so fun is that you can compost something and then use that compost in your garden. And then you can grow food out of that garden. You can make Mm. really fun dishes from that food. Like it just like was a continuous process that I saw um, where one was feeding the other quite literally. Right. Um, so that was like a very fun thing to to work, to begin to think about when working with food and bioplastics at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I'm really interested in workshops and just sharing the things that I've been learning and experimenting with. I'm by no means an expert and I enjoy that because I don't want to be. Uh-huh. Um, I am not a scientist. I am not, you know, the the people doing the work to make actual, you know, shelf stable bioplastics not me um the stuff I make gets moldy and that (laughs) is totally okay with me because I like to make beautiful things document them in some way and then be done with them um and I think something that I learned with um the latest workshop I just did in Los Angeles was that way of thinking isn't always um, why people are making work. And it was Mm. like, I had to sort of recalibrate and be like, oh yeah, why would you want to make something? Why would you want to spend time on something Mm. that you then, you know, compost or get rid of? And there are some folks that actually, you know, finish the workshop, like, actually, I'm going to compost this. And I was like, yeah, like, that's totally okay. Like, it's okay that we spent two hours on this thing and you are done with it because we were here making something together and learning together and and playing around together and that was the work you know Mm -hmm. like that was what was interesting um and more and more like you know as I'm able to meet with people a little more in person 
I'm realizing that that is sort of what the work has always been about. And and going back to like how I was talking about food and sharing food, it's like, yes, I enjoyed this period of of learning and experimentation and I'm still in that mode, but even more so I'm interested in the relational work that comes out of that knowledge um, right. because it means that I can convene with people over this kind of silly thing where we're like making bioplastics and it's gooey mm-hmm. and it's slimy and it's like, a little bit again sometimes again uncanny to like Mm. work with something that like you don't quite know what it is um and that joy that comes out of that that playfulness is incredibly rewarding and like that has been that just is the work to me like that has been yeah that has been really fun yeah well okay so first for our listeners could you tell us what forms your bioplastic projects might take because I feel like um, maybe explaining what a bioplastic is and how you're using it could help visualize it a little better okay so picture like when I'm working with agar you have Mm -hmm. this slimy slab of like gelatinous cellulose I don't know if that Mm. makes any sense but like if you've ever seen a scoby think of that a little more transparent like a kombucha scoby Uh um if you've ever seen like a gelatin cake has that kind of jiggle Mm -hmm. yes that kind of jiggle um as as it cures it gets a little more um it hardens a little bit but oftentimes I found I like working with gelatin and agar in the first couple of days because I love that flexibility. Mm. Um, I usually make sheets that I kind of embed objects in like mm-hmm. um, flowers or botanical objects or dried seeds and you know just a bunch of different things that I find in my garden or that I've collected elsewhere. And oftentimes you can like see the full like you can see those elements and they look different on each side because one side's usually smoother because it was touching the mold. Mm-hmm. It's, you're right. It actually is hard to visualize without having seen it. Let's just look I, up your work for sure. It's yeah, really it might be easier to look up images, <laughs> but yeah, I think if you think of like a transparent, flexible, gooey sheet, mm. um, that's usually how they take form and they usually have some sort of dried flower or you know something that I put inside um yeah (laughs) yeah um how did you um initially discover bioplastics so I always go back to this website that I found um it's called the bioplastics cookbook for ritual healing from petrochemical landscapes it's a bit Mm -hmm. of a mouthful but it, it was the first time that I had encountered a bioplastics cookbook because there are a bunch out there and a lot mm, of people really? make sort of open source, you know, just things that they have learned along the way that they want to share. What I like about this, um, and this is by an artist named Tia Ribo, um, the way that she talks about making bioplastics is very much situated in this communal making that I was talking about earlier. This is kind of how I got that framework of thinking where it's not particularly about this end product of making a, like a bioplastic thing, but instead the focus is on 
working together and making something and changing our material relationships with plastic. Mm-hmm. Because something that I really didn't think about um, before making bioplastics was how strange a thing plastic is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, plastic itself is, you know, the sum of, you know, millions of years of dead bodies, like turned right. into, uh-huh. um, you know, carbon and all of these things. Like it's it's not a non-living thing. Mm-hmm. And it's also not alive. Um, yeah. It is like the result. It is. It really is an afterlife of this like thing that used to exist, which were you know living bodies. Um, and there's this essay by Roland Barthes. Hopefully, I said that. Ronald Barth. Roland Barthes. Yeah, Roland Barthes. Um, who he talks about plastic as like the trace of a movement. That it's like mm. less of a of a, a substance, but rather than a, it's a state change, where you have all of these, you know, previously living things that have been transferred into something that will never biodegrade, mm-hmm. or it will. And I can't even fathom like how long it would take to, right. to, for it to beyond go beyond our conceptions of time. It, yeah, totally. Um, and and that is like such an interesting thing because it's like okay, so I, I'm thinking of this like incredibly prosaic and like ubiquitous object and when Mm -hmm. I think about it a little bit more it's like oh this thing is fascinating it's scary it's it's like actually very scary and you know actually when I was at this workshop I was talking about kind of these um, parallels I saw with AI and plastic where it's like these things that I actually can't quite conceive fully I can't or can't quite um, these things that I can't fully comprehend Mm -hmm. um that are honestly quite scary to me in their the vastness of them and the complexity of them mm-hmm. but i am trying to see some good in it you know mm-hmm. and and the good is not oh maybe plastic's not so bad that's not really what i'm saying i'm saying how do i think of it in a more nuanced way so that isn't so scary it's not mm-hmm. about it not being so bad it's about it being less scary because when i get too scared about these things that are so scary yeah i can't do anything that's just paralysis mm-hmm. you know and so thinking about plastic in more nuanced ways thinking about bioplastics thinking about just changing my material re- relationships by making new and fun things with other people that has been a way to challenge these things that feel so utterly terrifying and make me feel helpless, basically. It, it, right. it fights that a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts as we traverse through food, plastic, um, and technology. It's been really illuminating. Um, thank you so much for your time, Meech. Thank you. It's really been lovely talking to you. <laughs>